Hi, my name is Jude. Uh, I'm from 530 Macquarie Park, and I will be reading 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, which is on page 263. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of the Lord remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites... Did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people, Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in, and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you. As we have heard with our own ears, and who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself, and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever. 
and your Lord and you Lord have become their God. And now Lord, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing the house of your servant will be blessed forever. I want to ask you this afternoon, how do you read your Bible? If you're a Christian here this afternoon, how do you read your Bible? There are two ways that you can read your Bible. Uh, one, you can read it as a, a book of law or as a book of promise. A book of law or a book of promise. And the way that you read your Bible actually change your Christian life. If you read the scripture as a book of law, you'll read your Bible as a, all these laws that you have to keep or the things that you have to do to earn God's favour, and that is utterly, utterly exhausting, isn't it? But if you read the Bible as a book of promises, then you begin to see on every page of Scripture a glorious promise from a gracious God. You'll begin to see all these truths that God longs to bless you as his children. Do you really believe that God desires and longs to bless you as his children and it is a God who makes glorious promises to you? Or is your God just a, a God of rules, ready to slap you on the wrist when you fail to do the right thing? You've got to realise that the law was always given after the promises. So it was when God rescued his people from Egypt... He rescued them from slavery. He brought them into the promised land. He, he declared that he would be their God and they would be his people. He told them that he loved them and he was committed to them. And having told them all that, he then gave them the commandments. So he gave them the commandments in order that they might enjoy and experiencing this rich relationship with him. He did not give the commandments so they would earn that relationship. I think way too many Christians read the Bible as his book of law. And it's utterly exhausting. As your pastor, can I urge you to start to read your Bible as a book of promises and it will transform your Christian life. There, there are roughly 10,000 promises of God in Scripture. 10,000. Here's just a few of them. God is always good. Do you believe that? Psalm 119, you are good and everything you do is good. God is always with you. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1 verse 9. God is always good. God is always with you. God is always faithful. The one who called you is faithful and he will do it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. God designed you for a purpose. You are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do the good works. 
that he had prepared beforehand. The promise that God loves you deeply no matter what, that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Do you believe that promise? I could go on. God's presence will bring you joy, Psalm 16. God will uphold you. God will strengthen you. God will help you, Isaiah 41. God will give you wisdom, James chapter 1. God has a plan for your life, Jeremiah 29. God can be trusted, Hebrews 10. And God will fill you with overflowing hope and joy. On every page of Scripture is a promise from God. Isaac Watts said, I believe the promises of God enough to venture my eternity on them. Because the, the right response to promises is just trust, just to have faith, to believe. that The response to law is called obedience or works, and that is exhausting. But the response to promise is called faith. Taking God at his word, believing God's promises, trusting God's promises. There's around 10,000 promises in Scripture. But there's one massive promise, one big overarching promise that runs throughout the whole Bible. It was a promise that God gave to a man called Abraham back in Genesis 12. And God said to Abraham, I'm going to take you and I'm going to make a great nation out of you, a great people out of you. I'm going to place you in a land where you experience the joys and the blessing. And that promise of a people in a land experiencing the blessings of God, it runs throughout the whole of Scripture. And it's picked up here in our passage today in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's a glorious promise. God makes his promise to his servant, King David. In our chapter today, God promises a king and a kingdom, a future king that will last forever, a future kingdom that will never pass away. But this promise is not about David. This promise in 2 Samuel 7 is about a descendant of David, a son of David, the perfect king who will reign forever. Now, of course, that king is King Jesus. So I'm not going to do that awkward gear change at the end of a sermon and say, oh, it's all about Jesus. Let's bring that right at the front. This is all about Jesus. Jesus is this one that God talks about in 2 Samuel 7. Jesus is the one who will reign forever. Jesus is the one from the line of David. He is the king, the Messiah. I've got three truths for you today. Enjoy the, the presence of God. Will you enjoy the presence of God? God promises you his presence. He promises you that he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He promises you there's not a single second of a single minute of a single hour of a single day when he is not with you. Do you believe that promise? Verse 1. After the king, that is David, was settled in his palace and the Lord gave him rest from his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. So that's the scene. David is comfortable. He's settled, verse 1. He is stable. He's secure as king. And he's built himself a palace, verse 1, out of cedarwood, verse 2. So it's his opulent palatial home. He's built, he's built a palace fit for a king. And verse 1, we're told that the Lord had given him rest from his enemies. So he's enjoying this period of peace and prosperity. There's no fighting against the Philistines. He's now enjoying rest. And if you remember chapter 6, God uh, placed on David's heart to, to bring the ark of God 
back into Jerusalem. So the ark, if you were not here last week, the, the ark is this, this wooden box uh, that's covered in gold with these cherubims on top. And the ark was a, a symbol of the, the presence of God. It's a symbol of the holiness of God. It's a symbol of the rule of God. And the revelation of God, because the, the, the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments are inside the ark. It's a symbol of the reconciliation that God offers because it's the ark that the, the, the high priest would sprinkle blood on on the Day of Atonement. So this ark of the covenant is, is this beautiful symbol of God's holy presence. And when David thinks about it, he says, well, something's not right here. Verse 2, here I am as a human king living in my palace of cedar, in my palatial home. But the ark of God is just in a tent. That doesn't sit well with him. If a human king lives in a palace, then surely the holy God deserves more than that. It's good thinking. It's godly thinking. He's not planning on building a temple. The pagan nations built temples. David just wants to build a structure Something more permanent where his holy God can dwell in. And Nathan replies, verse 3, go on then, it sounds good to me. Now, now God's plans are not our plans, are they? God's ways are not our ways. So at night, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Often comes at night, doesn't it? Fewer distractions at night when God speaks to you. And he says, verse 5, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? The focus there is on the word you. He says, not you, David. You are not the one to build a house for the ark. But it's more than that. He's saying that God's presence cannot be contained in any building. God's presence is not restricted to some structure. I love verse 6. I have not dwelt in any house. From the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day, I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. And again, if you know the Old Testament, God went with his people. After he rescued his people and told them to build an ark, he then said, build this tabernacle, build this tent. It's a bit like a covering. And so wherever the ark went, the tent went. And it's just a symbol that, that God was present with his people 24-7, by, by day and by night. Wherever God's people went, God went with them. God was present to protect them, to provide for them, to guide them, to guard them. He's always present. He says to David, and in verse 8, I've been present your entire life. Verse 8, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I, I, I took you from the pasture. I, I saw you when you were a shepherd. I was the one who was with you then. And I appointed you ruler over my people Israel. Verse 9, I have been with you wherever you have gone. There isn't a single second of your life, David, where I haven't been present with you. I've been protecting you and providing and guiding and guarding. So God is saying to David and to us this afternoon that God cannot be restricted to any building. God doesn't need a house to live in. And God is always with us. When, when Jesus stepped into the world in, in John chapter 1, a glorious verse, it's read every Christmas time, John 1 verse 14, and the word that is Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Remember that? That, that word dwelling is the same word, tabernacle, he tented with us. 
When, when Jesus stepped into the world, it's the, the tangible, physical presence of God with his people. And then when Jesus left the world at age 33, he says, I'm going to send you another counselor, the Holy Spirit, who will what? Who will dwell in you, tabernacle in you. That's the word there. So you don't need to go to any building to meet with God. You don't have to come to this church to experience the presence of God. God doesn't need us to build him a glorious, opulent building. They're nice, but you don't need them. Do you really believe that every minute of every hour, God will always be there? You'll never walk alone. You'll never be abandoned. Max Licardo said this, we Christians are always in the presence of God. There's never a non-sacred moment in your life. Love that. There's never a non-sacred moment. God's presence never diminishes. Our awareness of his presence may falter, but the reality of his presence never changes. Now, I know there are seasons in life where it doesn't feel like God is present. I know there are seasons where it feels like God has left you. It's just not true. Just because you don't feel his presence doesn't mean he's not there. I want to urge us that God is with you right here, right now, by his Holy Spirit. So enjoy the presence of God. Number two, rest in the promises of God. Uh, verses 9 to 17 are extraordinary verses. They are theologically rich. God makes his extraordinary promise to David. Look at verse 9 with me. God says, Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. That, that's a promise to David, that the name of David will be great. Yeah, he's flawed, he's a failure, but he's chosen by God. And for the rest of, of generations to come, the name of David will be up there with Moses and Elijah and Abraham. You're going to have a great name, he says. And verse 10, I'll provide a place for you and I'll plant you. It's going to be a secure place, a safe place for God's people. And they're going to experience peace, verse 10. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as it did at the beginning. There's going to be a time and a place where there's no opposition, there's no enemies, because the enemies will be defeated. That, that's a promise to David, a great name, a secure place, and no more enemies. And God is the one who will do it. It's not down to you, David, it's down to God. God makes his promises and God keeps his promises. Look at verse 11. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. The Lord will establish a house for you, David. And let's stop a moment. David's already got a house, hasn't he? David's got a palace. Now, is God saying to David, look, I know you've got a $7 million mansion. Let me give you a $15 million one. He's not saying that. What does that word house mean? Let me try and show you. I could say the house of the Dales... It's my surname. The house of the Dales is at 10 Powell Street, Newtown Bay. That is true. That's where we live, bricks and mortar. That's our house. Or I could say the house of the Dales is Paul and Rachel and Samuel and Elijah and Nathaniel and Micah and a dog called Boaz and future grandkids and future great-grandkids. That's the house of the Dales. And that's what God is talking about here. It's like, like the house of Windsor. Remember the, the Jubilee last weekend? It was extraordinary, wasn't it? But the reality is that the Queen will die pretty soon. She will die, but the House of Windsor will not die. 
because the House of the Windsor has got now Charles and has got uh, William and then, then George and all the other future kings or queens. That, that's what, what God is talking about here, the House of David. It will not end. Death can't stop it, verse 12. When your days are over, David, and you rest with your ancestors, so when you pop your clogs, when you die, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. So the kingdom that he's talking about is not dependent on David. Verse 13, he is the one who will build a house for my name. So Solomon, David's son, did build a house for the ark. But it's not what he's talking about here. Verse 13, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That is the key promise. God is promising from the house of David, from the line of David, the dynasty of David, there's going to be a king and a kingdom that will last for all eternity. It's permanent. It's relational, verse 14. I will be his father, and he will be my son. It's that familial relationship. So we're looking for a son. And we're looking, verse 14, for the one when he does wrong, he'll be punished with a rod and wielded by men and flogged and inflicted by human hands. But, but my love will never be taken away from him. We're looking for this king that will be flogged and punished, but the love of God will never be taken away from him. Does that ring any bells? You see, the prophet Isaiah spoke a few hundred years after David. And these are the words that we read every Christmas. Isaiah 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. Is this making any sense? Our Lord Jesus Christ, from the line of David, the son of David, the, the name that's above every name. Our Lord Jesus Christ, his kingdom can never be defeated. He is the one who is reigning and ruling right now. Let's personalize this. If you're a Christian, if you put your trust in Jesus, you have moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You do enjoy the kingdom of Jesus. So is the Lord Jesus Christ ruling and reigning over your life right here, right now? Is the Lord Jesus Christ the one who has the security and the safety and your identity in him? If that is true, then claim those promises that Jesus made to you. There are lots of promises I wish Jesus made to me. I, I wish Jesus had said to me, Paul, I promise you no sickness, no sadness, no suffering. But he never promised me that. I wish Jesus had promised me a, a perfect work-life balance with lots of pleasure. He never promised me that. I wish Jesus promised me the perfect marriage and the perfect family. He never promised me that. There's loads of things I want him to promise me, but he never promised me that stuff. But here's what Jesus promises me and you. He promises you his steadfast love forever. John 14, 21, whoever loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love them, says Jesus. Jesus promises you that he will accept you and never ever reject you. Do you believe that? John 6 verse 37 is Charles Spurgeon's favourite verse. It says this, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never 
drive away. I never reject you, he says. One of my favorite verses is Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus promises me this. Come to me when you're weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Jesus promised me his presence, his peace, his joy, his friendship. Love John 15. Jesus says, you are my friends. I no longer call you servants. Instead, I've called you friends. And if friends come and go, friends disappoint you, but Jesus never does. He's your friend. Jesus promised you life to the full. He promised you a heavenly home. Can I, can I urge you, church, to know the promises of Jesus, to claim the promises of Jesus? Because if you do claim to be a Christian, if you do claim to live in the kingdom of Jesus, these promises are for you. See, my fear is that way too many of, of, of us who are Christians, we just don't know what Jesus has promised us. And so we spend our entire Christian lives settling for second best. If you're part of the kingdom of light, then your Lord Jesus Christ has given you these glorious promises to hold on to. And there'll be times when you are struggling, there'll be times when you feel a failure, and the times when you feel that God has forsaken you and forgotten you, will write down the promises and claim those promises. Corrie ten Boom says, gather the riches of God's promises. Nobody can take them from your heart. Those texts from the Bible which you've learned by heart. So enjoy the presence of God in rest in the promises of God and lastly delight in praying to God because prayer is the only response when you're sitting in the promises of the Lord. Verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Went in where? He, he went into the tent. So, so he left his cedar palace and he went into the presence of God. That is the right posture of prayer. He, he left all the distractions. He left all the business of his, of his life. And he knelt before the Lord. It's that humility to set aside time just to be with his God. And he begins with praise in verse 18. He says, who am I, sovereign Lord? What is my family that you have brought me this far? It was this verse that motivated John Newton to write the, the hymn Amazing Grace. Who am I? Who am I that I've been chosen by you? Lord, I don't deserve that. Who am I, Lord, that, that you should pour your grace upon me and that you brought me this far, that, that grace has brought me safe thus far? Wow, Lord, I, you're, you're incredible, God, that you should choose me and that you should save me and you should be with me. And if that were not enough, verse 19... You've spoken about the future. You've made me these promises. Wow, God. Verse 20, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant. You know me fully, God. You know everything about me before words on my lip. You know me completely, God. Wow, God, you're amazing, God. Verse 22, how great you are, Lord. There's no one like you. There's no God but you. Saying, great are you, Lord. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. Do you ever start your prayers like that? Do you ever just sit before God? And before you give him your shopping list of all that you want, you just sit and adore him for who he is. You sit and praise him for how great he is, how glorious he is, and you, and you marvel that he would choose you, little you. And you marvel again at his grace, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. 
That's the attitude of prayer, isn't it? You, you start by adoration and praise. How did Jesus teach you to pray? When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's how you start. God, you are other, you are hallowed, you are holy, you are glorious. Why don't you do that this week? Just, just set aside some time to enter the presence of God and, and, and don't give him a shopping list of what you want. Don't pour out your heart for what's, what you need, but just adore him for who he is. What's the next line of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And that's all David asked for in this prayer. Your kingdom come. Verse 25, And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so your name will be great. There's lots of things that David could have asked for. He could have asked for security and health and wealth and happiness. But he's got just one request. He's saying, Lord, just keep your word. That's all he asked for. Someone said that prayer is just praying in the promises of God. Do you ever pray like that? You, you just pray in the scriptures. You, you're so aware of all these glorious promises of God. He, he promised you his peace, his joy, his presence, his satisfaction. He promised you to be his friend. He promised you that he would never leave you. Just, you sit down, you, you say, Lord, I'm going to claim that promise today. I'm going to pray in that promise. And you might not give me what I really, really want, but I'm going to claim that promise so that your name is great. That's why David can pray with confidence, verse 27. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer. He's not asking God for anything that God hasn't promised. And I do wonder whether way too many of us as Christians, we don't pray well because we don't know the promises of God well. The more you know the scriptures, the more you know your God, the deeper your prayer life will be. So I'll ask you again, do you read the Bible as a book of law, rules to keep? If you do, don't be surprised if you're utterly exhausted in your Christian life. That's not the life that God wants for you. This is a book of promises, page after page after page of glorious promises from a gracious God. And when you read the Bible like that, you, you enjoy and you experience all these rich blessings. So enjoy his presence, rest in his promises, and delight in prayer. Let me pray. I'm just going to read some of those promises again. Lord, you tell us you are good and everything you do is good. And so we claim that promise of your goodness over our lives. Lord, you promise that you're always with us. You uphold us, that you strengthen us, that you help us, that you guide us and you guard us. So we claim that promise over our lives now. And you promise, Lord, that you're always faithful and that you will do it. So we claim that promise. You promise, Lord, that you've designed us for a purpose and that you have a great plan for our lives, so we claim that promise. Please reveal that plan to us. And you promise that you love us so deeply and that nothing can separate us from that love, and so we do claim that promise.
in Jesus' name.